You know, obviously, this is not going to top the guy drone hunter offense that we saw a couple of years ago. Um, but this is fun. I mean, this is a fun offense. Like, I mean, my favorite, to be fair, and this is just whatever, but my favorite is still the Malcolm Brogdon, Justin Anderson teams. That's fair. Oh my god, I loved watching those teams play offense. Like, was Prantis on that team too? Yeah, uh, one of them at least. Yeah. Okay. okay. It, it, he was the point guard for some. I think Devin Hall maybe for some of the others. Spicy um, blast from the past. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow and. It's Duke Carolina week. Feel the excitement. The first time they're both unranked in this matchup since uh, 1960. That's a long time. That's a really long time. Uh, Listen, we here in the triangle, we might be snobs about our Duke Carolina game and we're spoiled about it. And we poke fun at things like Louisville, Kentucky, because... It's not quite the same thing. Not to say it's not great in its own right. It is. And not to say there's not more vitriol. I think we all understand that there is. But, like, come on. Right. You know, there's, there's <laughs> like, Duke Carolina. I mean, there's a reason that, I mean, it's absurd that they've been meeting with one of them ranked for 60, what, 62, 61 years? Far, 60 far, years? far longer than either of us has been alive, that's for sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> By the way, that's Brendan Marks from the Athletic. Hi, Brendan. I'm very good at introducing people. Hi. Um, no, you are you are good. I uh, <laughs> this the, the Duke Carolina game needs no introduction. Neither do I. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. God bless them. I mean, at least they have plenty of archival footage, you know, to, yes. to pump up. Because Lord knows, I'm like, well, that game would be fun to watch. Maybe I'll watch that one instead. No, I mean, I do. I do think that as this season goes. It'll be an entertaining game. That's my feeling. I'm probably jinxing it. No, I think you're right. I mean, I I think last year, I actually had lower expectations, I would say, last year because I just figured it would be so uneven Um, just because Duke was actually not bad and UNC was actually bad. Uh, But, I mean, I I think both of those games turned out to be fairly interesting. I mean, the first one obviously is, is, you know, we're going to talk about that like we talked about Austin Rivers. And the second one... Uh, you know, the the revelation of Justin Robinson at the end of last year, I think was just a cool moment, probably more so for like niche Duke fans than the general public. But at the same point, like it, it could have been much worse. I'm, I'm working on a story right now and I've been going back through the archives and there have been many, many, many worse games than the two we saw last year. So may, maybe this one won't be as bad as we think. Yeah, the 2002 meeting between these two comes to mind. Um, the one where... Well, yeah, it was 2002, right? It, where they Duke won one of them by like 40. Yeah, and and then the other one was I think I think Matt Doherty went four quarters against them. I want to say. Oh my god. Was that that? Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. There's one. Uh, the um, there's <laughs> it was hilarious. One from 2010 was 8250. That's that's. Uh, oh yeah, that's bad. That's really bad. That's that's not even that's not enjoyable for anyone. Okay, I found it. Yeah. Because Duke won both by like 30 in 2002 in the regular season. And so, uh, yeah, in in the ACC tournament, they played them in the first round. And I remember that game because I was at it. So I I think I was at it. It's probably in Greensboro because I always went in Greensboro. Mm -hmm. And like Matt Doherty went four corners and it was 60 to 48. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) That, that, That is nothing, nothing good. And uh, also something that is so particular to Matt Doherty that I, I actually can't stand it. <laughs> 51 possessions in that game. Oh, my God. That's gross. That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm looking at Carolina's games prior to that. There's not even – there's barely even one in the 60s. Oh. And then all of a sudden, 51. <laughs> oh, my God. That those, those teams, the more you go back and you look into them, uh, all of the dysfunction simmering like just below the surface is fascinating. It's it's awesome to go back and rehash twenty years later. <laughs> I I remember because I was a freshman at UNC during that season, and I was so pissed because I was like, you know, I grew up a Carolina fan. My mom went there. We we grew up going to well football games because you yeah. know who who could afford basketball tickets, right? Um, <laughs> But 
we grew up like I grew up on it and I'm like, cool. Like I get to, and part, by the way, part of my school criteria selection was like having a good basketball team because my Maryland was my second choice. Like I almost went to Maryland. So. Oh my God. Think how, think how different your life and allegiances and path would be. Had you, had you been a Terrapin? Right. And like, that was Juan Dixon time, you know, that actually would have been fun. That would have been fun to be fair. Yeah. Like I remember because they were still in Cole Fieldhouse at the time and I went and toured up there and I was like, this place is really cool. Like, I love it here. Yeah. Um, but it was just a little far out of state tuition, all that good stuff. My parents were like, well, you can take out some loans. I was like, all right, fine. You know? <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go in state. So I'm like, okay, cool. At least I get good basketball. Then lo and behold, by freshman year, I'm like, what is this? You're no. like, just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, I want my money back, man. Like, <laughs> Come on. That's bad. Those those teams those teams were um as uninteresting as as they seem to be. Like even when you go back and you look like it it all checks out but not in the way that you would have wanted it to. Like I'm I not sure. I, yeah, I, I feel I, bad for you. <laughs> I'm not sure if I told this story on the podcast. If so, just okay. Um that I actually wrote about this when I was in journalism school. Um, this happened when I was a freshman, my parents got like courtside seats from one of their friends and we went to Jason Cable's senior night and I heckled him. Oh, and he heard me. Oh and, my. And glared at me. Oh my. And I like that. That was one of those like learn a lesson moments, you know? Right. right. Oh, they can hear me. And they're <laughs> beings. like, I heckled that dude on his senior night on a year that they went eight and 20. Yeah. That's, that's, um, he's going to, he's always going to remember that, you know, you were probably that, that, you know, girl who was doing that. He's like this. Yeah. He probably thought something very rude about me, which I don't blame him. If he did, he probably, I bet he does. I don't know. He went through so much that year. I'll bet he doesn't remember it, but I remember it because I was like, okay, you know, you need to grow up to myself, you know, yeah. like, okay, you, you, you know, these are real people. You are in school with these people. Right. Um, it was surreal seeing Julius Peppers around campus though that year. I was, just, I was just like, Oh my God, I go to school with Julius Peppers. That's, is amazing. I'm at, I, I would imagine. Do you think that it's the same way now with people in Sam Howell? Like obviously Peppers are so much more physically intimidating, but like in terms yeah. of like stat status, I don't know. I wonder. I'm trying to think if there's anybody. I wonder if the last guy that was like that at Carolina might have been like, I don't know, like a Marcus Page, maybe. Yeah. Just, just in terms of like sheer impact on Carolina and like how famous he was and, like, and how like star was. power. Right. Yeah. Right. I wonder. I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question because, yeah, it's like, whoa. Yeah, it is this surreal moment of like these these guys I've been watching on television for X amount of time. Like now I'm in school with them. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's pretty surreal, but yeah, it's 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 definitely a weird experience. But yeah, I mean, I I by the way, I shouldn't complain too much considering they won a title when I was a senior. I was so. going to say you got it. You got it pretty good in the end. Yeah, but I just I do remember thinking that of like, okay, you got to be kidding me. Like I I wait my whole life to go to school and like go to basketball games and have a great time. And I get this. Yeah. Um, by the way, when you, when you, you would like, when you were in school, did you, I hated the idea of going to football games drunk, but that's all my friends ever wanted to do. And it was so offensive to me, the idea of doing that. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. The same. I, I was, um, I did that. I leaned into that idea as a freshman. Um, I painted up for the, UNC Miami zero dark Thursday game. Oh. I painted, I painted up my body for that game and, and I fully leaned into the tailgate experience. And after, you know, listening to Eric Ebron shout in my face, like every time he came near the end zone, um, I realized that that was not for me. So I'm right there with you. It was like, I'm glad I did it once. Like I'm glad I did it for that game. It was a good game, but at the same time, no. Never again. That was that was not my scene. It like for, uh, my, my my friends thought I was insane, but I was like, I want to remember the game. Right. Exactly. You know? It sort and, of, and it, it sort of took care of itself. Why? Like <laughs> over time, as as I got like to be a senior and stuff, it would sort of take care of myself because I'd usually be working, but um, like covering yeah. it in some capacity. But yeah, no, I was never. I don't know. 
th- that that was never as appealing to me as like, oh, like there's an actual sporting event that I have an allegiance to that I can be involved in. That sounds more interesting. So I was remembering that because I was remembering that my freshman year, I think Texas came to play at Carolina. It was Mac Brown's return. And there was some sort of ESPN broadcast there. I don't know if it was game day or what. It probably wasn't game day, but yeah. Um, I, it was an outdoor thing and I also heckled Mac Brown, but I'm sure he didn't hear me. Um, he would be okay with it now. You could probably <laughs> tell him and he'd, he'd forgive you. <laughs> I'm doing a story about this, about like, because Mac is good humored enough to humor me on that. Yeah. Of like, of like my journey with Mac, you know, of yeah. like being a kid growing up, loving, you know, like against my better judgment, loving Carolina football and feeling so hurt. Like when he left. <laughs> I, I think you are not the only one who felt that way. And I think it skewed. And I even said this at the time. I think it skewed. It somewhat skewed my perception of his hiring. Oh, you know, even though like I not on purpose, like I, I don't feel any type of way about that anymore, you know, and I recognize why he did what he did, like, obviously, but like, I definitely think it skewed it a little bit because I'm like, like just that base part of you, you know, that you can't quite shake. It's like, he left you. Like, why are you bringing him back? Right. Right. It's also, is there, is there a coaching hire in the last like five years that was as widely looked down on as Mac Brown that has, has blown up in like the face of the public as, as much as Max has. Yeah. I started to say Herm Edwards, but that's still real TBD. Right. Exactly. Um, And that was probably mocked a little more even than Mac. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would say so. I, I like I just think about how like every single person I knew who had any affiliation to UNC was like, "What are they doing? This isn't you know twenty years ago." And it's like, "Oh wait, that." that. Oh really? People <laughs> affiliated with UNC said that. That's weird because yeah. now everyone just wants to try to dunk on me as if I was the only one to say it. Yeah, no, it's that that I will not let you go down on the ship alone. And I don't mind. Like I'm going to own it. I was wrong. Yeah, I don't mind it. It's yeah. fine. I had an opinion. My opinion wasn't. It was based on more things than like Mac Brown left, right. but you know, it did. That I I admitted it at the time too. It's like that skewed my thinking. I was I was skeptical about it until I got a chance to meet him um, in Charlotte. I was still in Charlotte at the time, and he came and did a you know sort of booster function at one of the like hotels uptown, and I got to go and like listen to him like work the room and like see him like interacting with people, and I was like. Mm, this this might work actually this this guy is like born to do this like he is so when he gets in front of like a powerpoint and oh, like super in some wealthy pockets he is yeah i mean yeah i mean he's like that with us so like imagine if like he's trying to get you to give give him money like i can definitely understand how you'd open up the pocketbook oh yeah yeah you would you would give him everything in your wallet before you even knew what you were doing um Oh, uh, well, it probably says a lot about the Duke Carolina game that that's, we've talked more about the past than anything else. With yeah. either team. It'll, it'll, yeah, well, I, there will be a game. We will cover it. Something will happen. And uh, I think largely this, this game, like m- the, most of these seasons for both teams are, are going to be sort of swept under the rug and, and not talked about going forward. Yeah, that's. We'll we'll get to it in a little more detail. I, I'll touch on some of the other games because, like, look, I don't know what's going on in this league right now. I have no idea. Um, st- uh, what do we have at noon? Virginia Tech at Miami. Sure. I don't know. I Miami mean, is 2-1 and one against the Triangle area teams and 1-8 and eight against everyone else. Sounds about right. And, and, <laughs> and, and also, uh, if not for an Andrew Playtech – Buzzer beater, three yeah. three and up. Yes, and, and they have four double digit of those eight losses. They're four by double digits, I think. <laughs> that is that's amazing, and I love that uh, Jim Larinaga is personally sticking it to the triangle. Yeah, that tracks for Jim, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, although you would think knocking UNC out of the NCAA tournament in two thousand six would have been enough, but it's not. Coming back for seconds. Yeah, I actually yeah. I, I was as I was watching that Duke Miami game this week. I don't know about you, but I was I was really thinking like if Miami was at full strength, this wouldn't be a bad team. Like they'd be interesting. Like if they yeah. had if they had Chris likes every game, if they had Earl Timberlake every game, if they had McGusty every game, uh, oh, if yeah. they if they had Sam Wardenberg every game, like 
if they had a full like if he had a full strength roster, I think Jim could have done something. Yeah, I mean they game. had a lot of buzz going into the preseason, partially for that reason. Right. But, I mean, yeah, but trying to make heads or tails out of whatever Miami's got right now is anybody's guess. I don't know. Yeah. And Virginia, Virginia Tech, I think will bounce back. Um, coming off a big win, it's probably not all that surprising they played the way they did, but against Pittsburgh. But yeah, I, I think they'll probably bounce back pretty well. I guess. I don't yeah, know. I, I I think Virginia Tech is legit good. I, I buy the Hokies. I got to I went up there to Blacksburg to watch them play Duke because I hadn't had a chance to see Duke play in person at that point. And like they're really, really impressive. Like they play probably as hard as any team as I've seen in the ACC. Like the fact that oh, Mike, yeah. the fact that Mike Young has been able to turn this thing around in his second season, I, and like I look, I don't think anyone expected Kevin Aluma to be anywhere near as good as he is, um, but the fact that he's been able to make it respectable and and decent, and the fact that they're like they beat Virginia and did it without Tyrese Radford, like I mean that's that's not easy to do. So I, I give Mike Young major props. Like I don't. I don't know how you feel, but I don't see anyone else in the conference being deserving of coach yeah, of the year. I, I think that's absolutely he's he's for sure the front runner right now. I I this is definitely a Mike Young uh stand podcast because I love Mike Young. Um but it's it's gotta be worrisome for him and reading what he said afterwards, I can see that it is that, you know, to allow this Pittsburgh offense that has capable players but is not capable necessarily of putting up the most points against Virginia Tech all year. Uh, that's worrisome for sure. Yeah, you you would have liked to have seen a better showing than that against Pitt. And, you know, it, it, I, I can understand, you know, you've seen this throughout the year with some, you know, Virginia Tech is not an old team by any means. And you've yeah. seen it with Duke. You've seen it with UNC. You've seen it with all these teams, you know, they go yep. and they pick up a big win. And then the next, the literally the very next contest, um, it all sort of falls apart. So, I mean, I, again, we talked about how good uh, Pitt can be when it's when it's at its best. I mean, like Champagne didn't have his best game, but Xavier Johnson just just was a machine. So, uh, yeah, and good for him. I know Craig Meyer, who's been on our podcast recently from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. He he was tweeting yesterday about how he was he doesn't root for players even, although I I root for players sometimes. I, I think that's okay. Um, just for them to succeed. But he said he was happy for Xavier Johnson because he's taken apparently a lot of ab- abuse online from Pitt fans. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. That was good. I, I, root for, I, I root for players for sure. I mean, there are guys that you want to see do well. Like, if you if you covered Duke at any point in the last two years and you didn't want to see Trey Jones do well, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, if you... Queen, Queen Cook was one for me. Right. If you covered If you covered those UNC teams in the mid, you know, 2015s, how could you not want Marcus Page to do well? So See, my, my guy was always Bryce Johnson. Yeah. Because Bryce Johnson and Marcus were like best friends. And Marcus was like Mr. Perfect, you know, and Bryce was flawed. And I love that about Bryce, you know, yeah. and I love that we got like honest, emotional reactions out of him all the time. He had, he was very honest all the time in post game too. I loved that about him. Um, Garrison reminds me of him a little bit in that way. Garrison yeah. Brooks. Yeah. It's why I've always like Garrison too. Garrison's been one of my favorites to watch and, um, yeah, I, I root for guys like that that I enjoy. And it's like I, I, I relate to Bryce a little more because I, I had friends like Mr. Perfect Marcus Page. And I'd be like, can you just not? Can you just not be you? Don't do that anymore. <laughs> Why can't you be more like Marcus? God, shut up. <laughs> you know, like, so I related to Bryce and I always liked Bryce in that way because I, I wondered how often Bryce must think that about Marcus. Like, okay, we get it. He's perfect. Whatever. I'm sure he gets annoyed. I, I, would, I would add another guy to that list right now for me. Um, and I think it's, maybe more a situation of circumstance because I, I, I don't know the guy as well, but um, I feel for Matthew Hurt because yeah. if things keep up with their current trajectory, um, I believe he would be the first multi-year Duke player to not make the tournament since like maybe 1980. Wow. Like either 1980 or 1981. Like it would be, yeah. it would be a long time since that's happened. Dang. Yeah. So I feel for him in that respect. Like I, I, that's a really unfortunate set of circumstances for him. And he'd probably go pro, right? 
I would imagine so. I mean, I, I talked to two teams a week ago, and they both said they had him as as like late first rounders right now. So, oh yeah, he fits he fits perfectly in with what the NBA is doing right now. So. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, and that's great. Like, go get your money, but at the same time, like, I know. I wonder if that gives him pause. Yeah, I mean, if if it was me, it would give me a little bit of hesitation. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, oh, State Boston College is that? I guess that's being played. Um, Does it have to be? <laughs> yeah. Oof. I mean, honestly. Oh, and it's at, oh no, it's at Boston College. Oh, that's haunted for state. Oh. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. Um, I think they only had. I know the other day they only had four scholarship players available at Boston College, um, and they were still going to play Florida State before Florida State went on its second COVID pause of the year. Right. Um. I, I don't know who they'd have available this weekend. I have no idea. I. I thought I read something about Jim Christian saying that it was like the administration that was going to have him play, which I thought was very odd for a coach that probably should have been fired years ago to say. Yeah. I mean, I think Jim Christian uh, sees the writing on the wall as we all do. And um, he made it very clear when he was talking about that whole situation with Florida state and, and having to play scout players. Like he very clearly stuck it on the administration. The administration believes that if we have eight healthy bodies, we can play. And they're counting the four scout players in that. So if they're telling us that we're going to play, that's not my job to argue with them. Um, I guess we're just going to have to go ahead and get ready. Like, yeah, I mean, he made it very clear. Like, I do not agree with you. This is not this is not on my terms. Um, But also, again, yeah, like I think seven years, no NCAA tournament appearances, um, even at a place like BC. Yeah. Even at a place like, like they B- BC, they haven't done anything. It's funny. My my husband's like ultimate co- like casual college basketball fan. He doesn't really invest that much. And I was talking to him about BC the other day, and he goes, "I still don't understand why they fired that Skinner guy." And I'm like, "Yeah, you and me both, buddy." Yeah, I loved Al Skinner's teams. Fun um, fun fact um, of every team in the ACC, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Boston College's defense per Ken Palm rates as the worst adjusted unit in terms of offense or defense in the entire conference. Oh, so there's that. <laughs> wow. Okay, then. So there you go, State. Just do an exorcism of Conti before <laughs> the game. You should be good to go. Uh, and, and Okay, so State, you and I talked about this a little bit before the podcast because I just did a panic room for WRLSportsFan.com with Joe Ovius. Um, about State's game last night against Virginia. And look, um, there was a lot of controversy about not playing DJ Funderburg the final six minutes. Keats was basically like, I'm the coach, deal with it. And said, but he did say Manny Bates, he thought would get them stopped. And look, Manny, Manny has developed into a really good scorer for them. I was, right. I've, been, I've been really impressed by his development there. And um, I think it, I understand both points of view because um, apparently DJ's defensive metrics are way better than I thought. Actually, when I um, I saw Corey Smith from Pack Pride was tweeting some of that out, he's the one who asked Keats the question. I, I look, I think it goes a little deeper than that. Um, DJ missed the game against Syracuse with some sort of academic issue. I guess I don't know. That was apparently resolved by last night. It, that whole situation was very murky and weird, and I don't. I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much because I have no idea, you know? <laughs> right. It's, it's a tricky situation. And, and like you and I said, you, after, after missing the Syracuse game, um, then obviously, you know, not playing him down the stretch against Virginia. And that's, that's sort of, you know, when he went to the bench, that very much coincided with when the game started to get out of hand. Um, and then in the end to, you know, Keith's really doubled down on the decision. I mean, he, he, he very much committed to it. You know, I'm the coach. Um, I, I wonder, is it, is it one issue? Is it multiple issues? Um, is it a buy-in thing? Like I, I, again, you don't want to speculate too much, but it, it feels to me like more than just one incident would, would be causing yeah. this, this reoccurring, um, you know, sort of lingering controversy, if you will. Yeah, and I, I, I can't help but wonder because I understand the analytics and I know DJ did play well in that stretch where they made the comeback, took the lead. I, 
I don't know. I mean, you can only speculate and you don't want to do too much of that. But I, I wonder if it comes down to trust. If, if at, at crunch time, he just said, I, you know, because DJ didn't play well in the first half. He didn't. Right. Um, maybe he just decided, I got to go with who I trust here. Because um, you could have played them both together. I mean, he did it a lot last year. It hasn't happened quite as much this year. But Right. And I think he made, he made that point coming into this season too that he wanted he wanted there to be much more like unilateral play from those two. Yeah, and it's weird because I know that's the style Keats is used to playing from Wilmington of just sort of being a little smaller but having one big in the game at a time. Um, and that's I mean that is kind of the way the game is. And, and look, I like DJ as a player a lot. Um, I I do, and I, and and I like him as a person. I enjoy him in post game. He's a good kid. I don't think that this is anything about DJ being a bad person or bad kid or anything. We're all flawed. We all do stupid things, especially when we're in college. Right. Um, right. You know, it, I think too, it's part of it is like, if you watch state since they lost Devin Daniels and even before, you know, maybe throw away the Florida state game. They're out there just giving it everything. You know, they, 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 most of the guys on that team are giving everything that is inside of them right now. And, right. Maybe, I mean, again, this is pure speculation, but maybe Keats felt like that wasn't happening with DJ. I have no idea. I, I felt like he looked pretty good in that, you know, in that stretch, but I don't know. And and so I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And I have no idea what to think about this game because State really, 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 really needs it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, they need to be rewarded for playing hard or else it may stop happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, at this point in the year, you've seen, you know, you're, you're, you've lost what? six of seven now. Um, and not just have you lost six of seven, but now you have, you know, I, I don't want to call it turmoil, but there's certainly something bubbling here. Um, you know, the only team you've beaten in the stretch is Wake Forest and barely, and it costs you your best player. Um, in defense of DJ, I will say this. I still think that on any given night, he's, he's capable of being NC State's best offensive player. Um, yeah. You know, I think when you look at like his stats, like he, especially in conference only play, like he's, he's still putting up numbers. You know, he's got the fifth best offensive rating in the, in the conference. He's uh, the best in the conference at drawing fouls per 40 minutes. Um, his offensive rebounding is obviously great. Like w- when, when he's engaged and locked in and at his best, he, he's capable of really making a difference. And um, I think that's, that's the reason for, for Keats to not give up on him completely because, you know, you, one, you've got to get your locker room back. And two, um, you, you still have a season to finish out and yeah. you've got to, especially for some of the younger guys on this roster, you don't want this to just turn into a slog. You don't want them to, to give up on the season now when there's still, you know, 10 games left. Yeah. I've seen speculation about state maybe imposing, you know, self-imposing a postseason ban. Um, I don't think that will happen until later if it does, because they still have the, you know, the freshman guards, you know, Cam Hayes, Shaq Moore, uh, Sebron. Um, you still want to have those guys play what feels like meaningful games to them. And you don't want to take that away as a potential carrot. Um, and, and so I think I doubt that they will self-impose unless it gets closer to the tournament and it becomes very clear they won't be in it. I, I think they'll wait until almost when Georgia Tech did last year. Yeah. Is it is is there any chance that NC State makes the tournament at this point? I don't I don't really even see that as being a possibility. It, it, yeah, it, I mean I think probably not, but I don't think I don't know. I don't I don't know if the guys think that way necessarily too. That's fair. Yeah, and and I think if they if they'd won yesterday maybe for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been a signature. That would have been a real feather in the cap. Right. But they didn't, and they don't have a whole lot of chances left. Um, so yeah, I, I, but at the same time, if you, even if you take it off the table for like ACC tournament, you know, play, I think that impacts things. And I don't know, it'll be interesting to see if state does it at all, because I know they feel like they have a good case with the independent review board or whatever. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, it, it's a risk though. Like, especially if you're sure you're not going to make it. <laughs> so we'll right. see. What- <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think if you're coach Keats right now, um, to some extent, I think you, you're seeing the same thing across the conference where um, because of the pandemic, because of the shortened 
schedule, some of the non-conference games getting canceled, all the pauses, the postponements, um, the uncertainty about if or in what form the ACC tournament will take shape. Um, I think because of all of that, you're seeing a lot of coaches that in the, in the next week or so here will start pivoting to the future and start pivoting to youth. Um, and I think that that's certainly – there's an argument to be made that that would be the best course of action at NC State. I think there's an argument that that would be the best course of action in a place like Duke. Um, you know, I think if Duke loses to UNC on Saturday, um, you know, I, I have I have been on the record in, in several forums as saying this. I, I don't think there's a realistic path for Duke to make the NCAA tournament if they lose on Saturday. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's a case where you're going to start to see teams sort of switch the priority and – um, rather than, you know, you, you want to get the young guys out there. You want them to play hard. You want them to get game experience, um, especially if this year doesn't count anyways. Like, this is all just free reps for them. So, yep. I, you know, it sucks that it comes to that, but at the same point, rather use the next month for something useful rather than sort of keep floundering around. And, um, I mean, if you're Coach Key, it's like if, if there is a situation with Funderburk that's lingering and it's problematic, and it gets to a point where you, you don't really feel – If you, I go back to what you say. I think it's a great point, Lauren, about trust. If you get to a point where you just don't have that trust, um, you know, maybe you do lean into the youth movement and, and planning for next season. Yeah, and, it, it, yeah, it'll be – I mean, kudos, though, to Jericho Helms, who's playing fantastic right now. Um, he's really stepped up a lot. And I, I, I know I mentioned Manny Bates, but, like, Jericho – is I've always really liked his game a lot. And it's hard when you have, I love Devin Daniels too. He's great. I think it was right to have him be the ball dominant player in their offense, but it's been cool for Jericho to see him get a chance to shine. Cause I think his game is really, is really, uh, I, I enjoy it a lot. He's a very versatile player and, and he's really stepped up. And that's the thing that you hate it for state. Cause like they are still playing their butts off, but right. Right. And I, I, for the record, I like Helms game as well. Um, not as much as some of my other ACC crushes, but, uh, certainly I, I, I love a big switchable, um, perimeter guy who, who's going to give me a couple of threes and also can maybe post up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's a weird season. Braxton Beverly talked to us before Keats did and he just sort of went through all the things they had been through this year. And it's like, yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) You know, two two COVID pauses and everything else. And it's just like, you know, the injuries and all that other stuff. And and it's, it's been a hard year, I think for everybody and certainly for them. So yeah, (sighs) it's been weird. Ah, two o'clock Syracuse at Clemson. God, what? That's that's such a weird one, especially right now. Like, what a weird game. Um, I I if it, it depends. I mean, are you, do you get good Clemson or bad Clemson? It's not quite like I don't think we're quite at like uh, Markel Johnson, like good Markel, bad Markel territory with the Tigers. But like, we're getting there. We're very we're very much getting there. Um, so Syracuse is kind of like that too, though. Exactly. Yeah, like the last five games for Syracuse is like 20-point loss to Pitt, 16-point win over Miami, 18-point win over Virginia Tech, uh, 23-point loss to Virginia, and then the state broke the pattern. It was a three-point win. Right. That um, that Virginia loss that Syracuse had, by the way, was overwhelmingly bad. Like that was – at, at no point realistically in the second half was Syracuse in that game. Yeah, and in Syracuse is ten and five. Okay, I, I and I have no idea what that even means. It means they're back on the bubble for the 18th year in a row. <laughs> I did say this, I think, last week, but it's oddly comforting to have Syracuse be the consistent like this is this is the most Syracuse thing ever. Right. You know, and I will say, working in Syracuse's favor, the rest of their schedule is not incredibly daunting. Like there are opportunities for good wins, but. The rest of the year, they've got no more Virginia. They don't have Florida State at all. Um, so, yeah. I mean, you're talking about you, you've, you've got Duke, you've got North Carolina, you've got Louisville, um, and, and then Clemson this week. Like, the, like, I think Syracuse has a chance to play itself into the tournament with, with an advantageous schedule here. I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not because they're, like we said, they're they're – Clemson-esque in their volatility, but um, I mean, the opportunity is there for the taking. Yeah, and, I, and the thing is, I don't even 
I wouldn't even say that like Clemson played all that well against North Carolina. Like they played well enough, obviously, and they certainly played well defensively. So yeah. I don't want to take that away. But offensively, I was like, um, like, like, a, like a team with more offensive firepower, even by a little bit, would have been up 30 on Carolina at a certain point. Right, right. No, I mean, I think that game was much more about UNC playing god-awful versus Syracuse playing outstanding. Yeah, so, I mean, who knows? I, I, I don't know what their history is in Syracuse. I don't love the idea of Clemson against a zone. No. Well, I think that's just going to – you know, Clemson is going to Clemson. They're going to check up threes. Whether or not they make them is, is you know, yet to, yet to be determined. But, by God, they are going to shoot their three-pointers, and they're going to live and die by the three. It doesn't matter what the defense – if they're going in or not, that is what Clemson does. And, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, stay true to yourself. Listen to your heart. Clemson has at least four offensive possessions every single game, no matter what, that – Cause me to say "ew" out loud at the end of them. Yes. Um, however, we we will not tolerate this. If if this is a uh, if we're standing for Mike Young on this podcast, we're also standing for Amir Sims. Oh hell yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, in theory, I would love the idea of Amir Sims working the high post against the zone. However, you do have to be able to pass to someone that can score. Correct. And that <laughs> that uh, it. it, it I have a feeling that there's a very good chance if Amir Sims gets to the middle of that zone, he's going to have a lot of assists that don't actually come to me. I know. I hate that, right? It's like you're cheating him out of – because he's such a good passer too. Right, right. Jordan Goldwire can tell him a lot about that. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. No, I mean, it's so uh, – yeah, I love Amir Sims. I was happy – I was definitely happy for him because he is clearly very happy um, after the North Carolina game. And I love, I love, love, love his game. Um, he, I wish he had just one more slightly better player around him because we would, I think, see him shine even more. And he's, I, I was reading some stuff that Brad Brownell said about Amir after the Louisville game. And I think Amir is dealing with some of what we've seen Garrison Brooks go through a little bit of like trying to balance out being the player that you can be with also leading a team, you right, know? Right. And I that's de- hard. It's very hard. It's very hard. I definitely think that, um, you know, Garrison especially has like Amir. I, I think at least still sees more usage. Um, yeah. You know, compared to where Garrison is at right now, like Amir still ties for Clemson's team lead in in percentage of shots taken when he's on the floor. Like he's still taking twenty three percent of Clemson's looks, um, which is the same as Nick Honor, but Garrison Brooks is not, and. Uh, that's actually a great comparison, Lauren. I hadn't thought about that, but it, I'd see a lot of similarities between the two. They're both also like high effort energy guys that you root for. Um, yes. And, and good kids, you know? Right. Like, I, 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 and again, you know, you and I have talked about this before. I love Amir's game. Like, I, I love the way he plays. I think that an NBA team would be stupid not to at least bring him in for summer league, if not a late round draft pick. Um, like late in the second, he's six eight and a half. He can do a little bit of everything. Um, Coach K called him a point center, and like That's that, accurate. that that I mean, I know he probably didn't mean it that way, but like Coach K calling you that to me just inherently is like praise. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and and it, you know it's just hard because he has very little around him, but and I think I think I was listening on the broadcast that they were saying they wanted him to have improved his three point shot a little bit more, but that. You know, to be fair, that doesn't help Clemson like him doing that necessarily. Right. Um, right. You know, if if they just had given him the ball and said go to work and do whatever you want, and that's the balancing act too, right? Like he wants to prove himself to scouts, but he also, you know, for for them, that's not necessarily the way that they're going to benefit the most is him playing that way. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, again, I don't. I'm not probably watching any of that game, but. <laughs> I'll, I'll check back later to see which team did something weird, you know? Yeah. I think, I, th- I think that would be a good, uh, if Syracuse can win, I think that helps their tournament chances. Like I think Clemson, oh, yeah. is, Clemson is more firm, even with all the losses of late, Clemson is more firmly like in the field right now. And Syracuse is still very much on the outside of the bubble looking in. And that would yeah, be, they're not kind of trash. Yeah. Right, right. That would be a good win for the, for the orange. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, four o'clock pit at Virginia. Okay. Well, Pitt, you know, good for Pitt. Um, 
I don't know how they did it, but they did against Virginia Tech. <laughs> <laughs> and they do like if you told me Justin Champagny would struggle against Virginia Tech, I would have thought Virginia Tech by you know a hundred. Right. But I, I, I'm I'm a big fan of this game. I think that this has the potential yeah. to sort of make make the ACC Player of the Year campaign. Like not not that Justin Champagne can lock up the award on February the fourth, February fifth, or whatever. Um, but if he comes out, plays great against Virginia, you know, if he's able to do his thing against the pack line, and if by some miracle Pitt wins, um, you know, it's 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 getting harder and harder to argue against Justin Champagne as ACC player of the year, just because of Pitt's record, because Pitt is better than people are giving them credit for. Um, I think Capel is a sneaky coach of the year, you know, yeah. defender. I don't think he'll win it because of Mike Young, but I, I definitely think that what he's done there has been impressive. And yeah, if they are able to beat Virginia and Champagne plays the way he has for every game outside of the Virginia tech one, um, you know, I, I I'm basically going to put my vote in an envelope and lick it and seal it shut. Yeah, that's fair. Um, he's only Champagne's only played against Virginia once. He had nine points. I mean, it was last year, so who knows? I would bet. But, I would bet he scores more than that. <laughs> yeah, I would. I, I think that's probably fair to say. Um, I I gotta tell you, if if I know Virginia's not for everybody, I'm not going to argue with anybody if they feel that way. But if if you didn't like Virginia in the past and you watch this Virginia team and you feel the same way. I don't at this point, I'm just going to assume you're being disingenuous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, if you can watch Jay Huff chuck up six, three pointers a game and not just love that, then I, I can't help you. I'm sorry. Well, I love the way they run their offense now. I, I and I love to see Tony Bennett, you know, I think every year he gets better as a coach too, which is cool. And their offense now is run around everybody's strengths. And I love watching their motion and it's more tailored to what Huff brings to the table. Um, I love that he's done that. I really do. And they're, they're fun to watch offensively. Trey Murphy. I mean, that's a third option for them, which is insane. Right. Right. No, I mean, I think, um, you know, obviously this is not going to top the guy Jerome Hunter offense that we saw a couple of years ago. Um, but this is fun. I mean, this is a fun offense. Like, I mean, my favorite, to be fair, and this is just whatever, but my favorite is still the Malcolm Brock and Justin Anderson teams. That's fair. Oh, my God. I loved watching those teams play offense. Like, Was Parantis on that team, too? Yeah. Uh, one of them, at least, yeah. Okay. okay. It, it, he was the point guard for some. I think Devin Hall, maybe, for some of the others. Spicy. Um, Blast from the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they were super fun. Just loved watching those teams and – uh, yeah, I, I I would say major nerd like Malcolm Brogdon was after bon- like before Bonzi it was Bonzi Malcolm Brogdon then Bonzi Colson were my last two like big ACC hoops loves yeah um and but I I could watch Malcolm play on and off the ball an entire game just yeah. just watch Malcolm it was yeah. so great yeah I, Malcolm I, was the one who actually broke down for me Virginia and like made me understand oh really. You know? Yeah, yeah. He was basically like he he went through the whole thing and was just like, "Look, we we run you around, you know, we run you into screens, we wear you down, you know. Right. That right. that's what we do, you know." And and he's like, "We're not bleeding the clock. Like we know what we're doing, and if we get a good look, we'll take it. But we're also going to make you work. And by the end of the game, you're going to be tired of it. And you know, he's and a lot. He I think they called it like the anaconda or something, like squeezing. You know. Oh, I like that. I loved it. And I was like, I totally understand. Like, and they do, they run, that's the blocker mover, right? They just run you into screens constantly. And, and by the end of the game, you're like, I never want to play them again. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You get so exhausted. But I, this year is so different. Like they don't play that way nearly as much. No. I mean, and the thing is like, we're talking, we're talking about how uh, interesting their offense is now. The, the pace is the same, you know, yep. the pace is still glacially slow. Um, but they just they just operate at such an efficient clip now, and you know I, I I will you know put myself out there. I did not expect this at all from Jay Huff. Um, I thought Jay Huff was a good player. I thought the idea that he could have gone into the NBA draft last year was absolute lunacy. Um, 
But I, you know, I, I think he has helped himself as, as, as much as maybe anyone in the conference in that respect. Like he has been efficient. He's done everything that he's supposed to be doing. Um, you know, like the, the, the things he's known for, like being a rim protector is still very much there. But as crazy as this is, Jay Huff has the ninth best true shooting percentage in the country. In- so he is, he's an analytics dream. Yes. He always has been. And, and like Virginia fans, it was always this big thing of like they wanted him to play more, but he wasn't where Tony wanted him to be necessarily defensively. And he doesn't, you know, they don't even hedge as much as they used to. Like they've kind of tweaked the defense around Jay as well. And I, 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 I I've been so impressed with Tony in that way too. Yeah. Um, where like, again, there are, pl- like you've said, there are plenty of good coach of the year candidates. Um, and, you know, but if you wanted to vote for Tony Bennett at the end of the year, if they win the league, I wouldn't hate it because he's done a great job. Not at all. Let, let me ask you this. Do you do you buy Virginia as being the clear cut best team in the ACC right now? Or are you holding off on giving them that coronation? I kind of do partially just they're so dangerous offense. Like they have so many different guys that can hurt you. I think what happened with Virginia Tech was a little more not fluky, that's the wrong way of putting it, but just the perfect storm of, of things to happen, you know, to them at the same time. I love, I love Kihei Clark as a passer. Um, I, I mean, that's, that sounds so insulting. Yeah. Weird, I love weird, Kihei in general, but. Weird year for Kihei. Weird year for Kihei. Hasn't yeah. gone, I don't think, as he would have uh, anticipated it would have. Yeah, he had a little rough start to it, but he's he's you know he's kind of started to get it together here of late. Um, I, Reese Beekman has been really really good too. They just have so many different guys, you know that that can that can hurt you offensively, and that's when that's when Virginia is kind of at its best, and and now they're starting to really play better defense as well, and that's you know that's probably terrifying to everybody else, but uh, you know that was kind of the struggle early on was getting them ready on that end, and now they're they're really getting there. I saw I heard in the broadcast last night that that uh, Tony compared Reese Beekman as a defender uh, to Malcolm Brogdon. Oh wow! I know <laughs> that's that's ambitious. I know. I was like, dang. Okay. I mean, he's he is um he he definitely is great on ball. Like you know, I, I feel like every time I'm watching him, he's stealing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's he said he yeah, he has that he imposes his like physical will defensively and I was like, Yeah, that's and his his athleticism and physicality and yeah, I was like, Okay, I can see that. You're I can like, see okay, it. that checks out, yep. Oh man. But yeah, that that that's definitely a game has some intrigue for sure. Or it could be one where Pitt, you know, hits the wall again offensively and looks like garbage. Um, since they're a little more well, they're limited everywhere still, but what Cable's done this year has been Really good. I think you and I both like Jeff very much. Yes. Um, I know he's the only, he's probably the only ACC coach that follows me on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm glad to see him doing well. I'm glad to see just Pitt doing well. Like I think um, he he sort of had a job similar to like what I think of when I think about like UNC football circa the end of the Larry Fedora era, like just being totally void of hope. Um, That's the situation he took over. And to immediately, you know, to, I, maybe immediately is carrying a lot of weight in this sentence, but to make them interesting and compelling, and obviously Champagny has blown up in ways that neither he nor anyone could have expected, but um, I, I think it's a testament to what he's building there that so quickly that hopelessness is gone, and that's hard to do in, in such a top-heavy league. Well. We're getting late. It's getting late early, as they say on the on the podcast already. But so I will not go into super depth about Notre Dame, Georgia Tech at eight o'clock. I'll get back to Carolina Duke. But Notre Dame, Georgia Tech. Uh, Notre Dame played one of those early afternoon games last week that I like opened Twitter and was like, "Wait, Notre Dame played? <laughs> when, when did that happen?" But they have sneakily again sneakily because they're playing these like mid afternoon games. They have won four or five and. I love Mike Bray, so you love to see it. Yeah, they've they've done a good job of beating up on their peers in the bottom of the ACC standings. Yep. Um, yep. I I know you don't want to hear this, and I know no, that we both like you. Mike Bray. Um, <laughs> how how far out are we from Notre Dame and yeah. Mike Bray needing to have the talk? I think it's. I think you still have a couple more years at least, because the thing is, they have 
he's still a basketball coach at a football school that has had some modicum of success. Yeah. Um, so I think we're still, and obviously this year is a throw it in the garbage year. Right. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I think we're still a, a, probably a couple years away from that. Of course, I was saying that about Brad Brownell the other day. Really? Um, okay. Well, okay. well, listen, my issue with Brad has always been that Clemson's offense is a mess and it has been since he took over. Right. Um, it, they don't, I know he recruits to his defensive style, but they don't have guys that can play. They don't have enough guys any single year that can play offense at the ACC level, in my opinion. They just don't. Yeah. And they get, you know, they, they do enough sometimes and they defend you. But if they don't defend you, and this has been kind of consistently true the last couple of years, if they don't defend you, they lose by 30. Yeah. Because they don't have offense. Yeah. And and they, it's, I don't know. It's just been a consistent theme. I think they finished like in the bottom five of the league in offense, like eight of his 11 years. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, again, you're, you're spot on. Everything you said is correct. Um, I also think that over the years he's, he's definitely leaned into the defense though. Like on the recruiting trail, he's not, he's not going for guys who are able no, to, to fill it up. He's going for the guys who can grind out like an ugly, like 60, 54 win. Um, but, and that's all well and good, but like, you know, Virginia does that and they still have guys that can score, you know? I always, every time anyone mentions Brad Brownell, I, my first thought is how would he have handled Zion? Like how, how different would all, oh of, how different would all of our lives be had he gone, had Zion gone to Clemson? Like what, 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 where are we right now? Like where's Duke? Where's Clemson? Where's Zion? Where's Brownell? Like, yeah, I think about that one decision all the time it lives rent free in my head i wow i hadn't thought about that in forever but you make a good point like can you imagine i mean because zion was a great passer can you imagine him like passing it out to a wide open teammate who bricks a three on the front rim yeah well i i think you know for as otherworldly as the numbers that zion put up were like i think they would have he he would have had such a green light um not that he didn't but Oh, for sure. His share of the offense, I mean, it, it easily could have hit like maybe 40%. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> no, for sure. That And that would have been intriguing in a way. Yes. I, I mean, I think it would have been something that he could have handled. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> oh, that's wow. Now I'm going to be thinking about that all day. Um, okay. So Duke Carolina. Woo. Oof. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, I mean, like, I don't, you know, if Carolina had won, even in an ugly ish game, I, I don't know. Maybe I would have felt differently. Yeah. Maybe. I think, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I think UNC has a lot to lose this game. Um, I think that for, for Duke, this is basically a win keeps your season alive. Um, faintly, you know, but you're still in the running. If Duke loses, I think that that pretty much does it. That's pretty much a wrap. If UNC wins, um, that's almost, I think, an expectation. You know, for UNC to lose this game would be a bad loss. Which is crazy, actually, because, like, it would be the highest-ranked Ken Palm team they beat. Yeah. But (laughs) it's it's so backwards. It's so reversed. But, like, if UNC were to lose this game, it it would really hurt their, their resume. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing they do have going for them is the fact that um, they played such a tough non-conference schedule. Right. Um, so if they lost this, and let, let's say they lose Virginia, you know, I mean, I, I think that they have at most nine to ten losses at the end of the year, at most. Maybe more, but I think that that's probably at most what we're looking at. Yeah, it's not, it's not a forgiving back half of the schedule. No. Um, you know, just just in the next month, you've yeah. got Duke twice, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Louisville, and Florida State. Well, and, and I think this is why, by the way, that Roy was so reticent when people were like, have they turned the corner to be like, oh, yeah, you know, and I, I also think and it's interesting. Um, I was proven wrong by this, by the way. But, you know, I think Duke is reacting to its struggles differently than Carolina a little bit because 
for Carolina, I do think for the most part, they've taken it more on a game by game basis because a lot of them went through last year, you know, and they they remember what it's like to have a game with a glimmer of hope and look like you're turning something around and then have it all come crashing down. Right. Right. You have to know what that is. <laughs> yeah. They, they, I, you know, as, as bad as it sounds to say, UNC learned how to lose last year. Yep. Um, and I think that that has made them, and I don't want to say appreciate winning more. Cause I think that given where Duke is right now, those guys definitely do appreciate winning, but at the same time, they're so young that, I don't think it, it, the full gravity of like, you know, beating Wake Forest or something. Like, I think that means so much more to the Duke guys just because they, they have had fewer wins. But at UNC, it's more appreciated in like the sense of like, we know we have to, to rack these up. Like, we can be grateful we won, but at the same time, like, we needed to win. Like, it, it, this is not some big cause for celebration or anything. Where at Duke, um, I think that's much more so been the case this season just because how young the guys are, how, how sideways everything has gone. Um, it's, a, it's a really weird time for both schools to be meeting, like coming off of the games they're coming off of. Yeah, I think both fan bases, though, it's funny. It, it, you know, everybody gets so amped up going into the game, and I think both of them probably, you know, like when, when Duke lost, I, I saw some Carolina fans being like, oh, great, they're coming off a loss, you know, they'll be upset, whatever. And then Carolina does the same thing. So it kind of evens out in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think UNC is the better team right now. If I had to pick right now, I would pick UNC to win. And now that I said that, of course, they're going to get blown out. Um, I don't know about that. (laughs) I don't know about blown out. But I, I, um, I still think that end of the day, North Carolina is going to end up as a tournament team this year. But in order for that to happen, um, yeah, this is a sort of game that that you you can't let slip away. Yeah, no, I agree, and you're right. I'm looking at the back half, and oof, they've got a, there's a lot of teams on that back half that they haven't beaten a team ranked that high. So, I think it's probably good they get Virginia Tech and Louisville at home for whatever that's worth, right? Uh, and Florida State again at home too, because that was a that was honestly that was probably that was the moment for me not beating Notre Dame, Miami or Syracuse that I was like, okay, I think Carolina's okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, th- I think, you know, this is still a team that's very flawed. They're far from perfect. Um, but there's enough, there are enough flashes that I buy in, you know, the offensive rebounding. Um, it's not a guarantee as we saw against Clemson, but there are not a lot of teams that are going to be able to keep up with UNC in that respect. And it doesn't take 10 threes to keep them in the game. It takes four. And I do believe that between Kerwin Walton, Caleb Love, RJ Davis, you know, occasionally uh, Andrew Playtech sends in a cheeky three from the corner. Um, I think that there's enough space. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a Playtech meme where he says he's in space or whatever. And, and it says cheeky. Joe, Joe and I and, and Luke have a long running um, back and forth, I'll call it, about the virtue of Andrew Playtech's game. I love him. You yeah. know, so do Joe and Luke. I just, yeah, he just, I, I, he's the one too that like he gets the Braxton Beverly treatment sometimes from Carolina fans. Although I do think the meme stuff with him is making a lot of them come around. Um, and, you know, you can make the case he saved their season with the game winner at Miami. So. Yes, yes. That shouldn't be underrated. But, um, no, I think I think UNC has just enough outside of the bigs to be a tournament team consistently. Um, but, you know, very much the same way at North Carolina and Duke. It, it does yeah. take near perfection to, to win um, just because of the deficiencies that both teams have. I th- and, you know, it's funny. Roy said after the, the Clemson game, turn- like Dean Smith said turnovers are either selfish or careless. Right. And so many of UNC's turnovers are careless and like careless to a degree that you don't often see. I, I, I dubbed this by accident, uh, ghost passes because like they pass to teammates that aren't there. Yeah. Leaky blacks, uh, <laughs> to the corner, I think was especially, uh, especially hard for, for Roy to take like a bounce pass to literally no one. I don't know what the, what the play was. Um, I don't know who, if that's on leaky, I don't know if that's on someone else, but they, they, you know, careless, uh, I think is, is an understatement when you're talking about some of these, like, of course they're going to happen. They're going to happen at Duke too, but man, it, it 
doesn't make it any easier to understand. Yeah, and I was I was really intrigued by um I, I think both coaches felt like their team they had warned their team about these games. And I think Roy wasn't as concerned going in because he felt like they were ready, whereas Kay I think was already concerned about his team going in. Um and, and it was interesting because Kay's been very defensive of his group all year, and I get why. I totally do, because they need it. Right. But he was not at all after the Miami game. And I don't blame him, frankly, because they I'm sorry, they have no business losing to that team. Yeah, and the way they played was was pretty disgraceful. I mean, um that's that's the first time all season when it really looked like they weren't invested. Like Yeah. And again, you know, for the young guys, um it's it's a matter of not taking anything for granted. And it's a matter of, I think, you know, being selfless. You know, when Duke was able to beat Georgia Tech and able to beat Clemson, they were sharing the ball. Jordan Goldwire was basically Mr. Hockey Assist. Um, you know, guys were giving up good looks for great looks for others. And for some, for some reason, Duke completely reverted against Miami. I, I really did not anticipate them playing so poorly. Um but again, that's yeah, that's the reason why Kay's been defending these guys the whole time is because at least up until that game, they had really been trying to get it together. And yep. when they finally didn't, I don't blame him whatsoever for you know sort of holding them accountable. I think that's completely he, completely right. He's called them soft. I was like, whoa, like eight times. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like coaches. So I mean, that's like a that's like a swear in college basketball, you know, in basketball in general. Yeah, I mean. M- when you're letting Miami drive down the lane against you at will, like it was a layup line. It was bad. It was real bad. And it, but although it's weird, okay, uh, and we'll we'll wrap up soon. But like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, and maybe it's just aesthetics. It's like art. Everyone looks at art differently. When Duke plays poorly, to me, it doesn't look as aesthetically bad as when North Carolina does. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. When North Carolina plays bad, they really <laughs> roll in the mud. <laughs> yeah. they, they just, I mean, like the, their Miami game was like, even though Duke, even though Duke lost and Carolina won, their Miami game was way uglier. I thought than uh, Duke's. The Twitter comments when Duke plays bad are like, "Oh man, this is so sloppy. This is so disappointing." The Twitter comments when UNC plays bad are like, "Scrub my eyeballs. This is the worst thing I've ever watched." <laughs> Well, it's just, yeah, they miss all the shots and turn it over constantly. And you're like, um, okay. And then they miss free throws, like, so bad. Oh, dude, it's, it's all, like, they don't do anything well offensively except get offensive rebounds. No, it's very, it's very hashtag relatable content for, for us YMCA pickup players. Yeah. And uh, before I get you out, you were, I mean, you worried about Baycott in this one? Or, you don't? I, I just don't know if Duke has enough bodies uh, or, I don't know, or maybe the capability to do some of what Clemson did. I mean, I guess they could, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not too worried about Baycott. I think he'll be all right. I think ultimately, um, I, I've picked UNC to win this game. I believe that UNC will win this game just because I don't think that. I don't think that Duke has any real answer for for these bigs inside. Like Mark Williams is uh, still very much learning on the job. And I think he's going to get some minutes. I wouldn't be surprised actually to see someone like Henry Coleman get some minutes just as a foul body. Um, But I I don't think that there's a situation where one of Jalen Johnson or Matthew Hurt gets into foul trouble. And that can't happen for Duke to play to the best of their ability. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, Duke's going to try and I think probably front and double in the post. Um, They're going to try and make post entry miserable but I, I do think that if that's the case, UNC's passing is good enough and Duke's defense is, is susceptible enough to um, working around that. And yeah, there's I'm, I'm, picking, I'm picking UNC and sticking with it. I mean, they're definitely playing that zone though, aren't they? They're, I mean, this is the game that you do that. You do. Um, and if you're UNC, I think you're okay with that. I think you let Daron Sharp or Garrison Brooks take off turns. Mm-hmm working from the middle, especially Zayron, because he's such a good passer. Like um, I, I am of the mindset that he is the best passer on the team and him operating out of the middle there, I think is something that could really give Duke fits. Um, Garrison. I, I think Garrison has showed us, I mean, he looked great assist wise um, 
against Clemson, even in defeat. So, yeah, I think I, I think Duke will go zone. I think UNC will have some counter for it. Um, but I still believe that that one of those two, Herder Johnson, is going to get in some semblance of foul trouble, and that usually does not bode well for the Blue Devils. By the way, I would not at all be surprised if I, if Roy if Roy Williams literally goes out and recruits a guy specifically because he can feed the post and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. It's, you take it for granted, but like. <laughs> Not anymore. Not in the last three, four years here. You don't. It's so. It feels like it's been ages since there was just a a, a, a dom. Yeah, someone who could just do it consistently. Yeah, and it's like such a basic thing that, like, now when someone does it well on their team, I'm like, oh, nice post feed. Right. You notice it. You're not supposed to. <laughs> no. No. You're not. I'm like, hey, look at that. I think Playtech is maybe uh, their best post feeder. That says something. Yes, it does. Yeah. And not anything good. No, no. <laughs> Their best post feed is an offensive rebound. Honestly, though, like, and that's, and, and that's another reason why I, I pick North Carolina in this one, because I don't think that, um, yeah. I don't think that Duke is, is kind of, like I said, I, I just don't think Duke has the bodies. I, oh, I, no. just, I think it's yeah. a good matchup. You know how Coach K talks about like bad faces? Yes. They showed, I, I thought about that literally when they showed Armando Baycott at one point in the game and they like zoomed in on him and he had this vacant expression on his face. Yeah. And I was like, oof, Coach K would call that a bad face. He was, he was out of sorts and I'm not, I, I'm not totally sure what it was. Roy didn't seem that worried about it after the game though. Um, I think he was just frustrated. Yeah. I think it was just a rough go. I, I'm, I think they got down early and things sort of went off. And the I wall. think, I don't. I, I think Jalen Johnson kind of showed frustration too. Um, yeah, he's done that at times. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, it'll be interesting because somebody's going to end Saturday very frustrated. <laughs> it's it's, right. it's it has nail in the coffin nail in the coffin potential for Duke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just they don't have the number of games. Like that's their problem too. Right. And their schedule isn't exactly super forgiving either. On the back on the very back end, like. It gets a little easier after Carolina, but then they've got Virginia, Syracuse, Louisville, Georgia Tech, North Carolina. Like that's it's a gauntlet. You know, yeah, like you better be playing real well at that point, or else. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ken Palm has them twelve and ten. They won't have the games at that point. Right, so. right. All right, Brendan, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, I'm I'm on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. Um, you know, come come live in my mentions with with all the other trolls. Uh, or on, or or all my stories are over at theathletic.com. Uh, if you don't have a subscription yet, I'm biased, but I think we have the best comprehensive sports coverage. If you if you're a fan of multiple teams, multiple leagues, multiple cities, in multiple countries, even um, we've got you covered. So come check us out if you haven't already. All right. Well, until next week, everybody. 